Hey, New City family. Thank you for coming to listen to this week's message. This is AJ Farthing, and I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at New City. Our mission is to see Jesus change lives and reach the world. We want you to be a part of that movement by helping you grow as a disciple and encouraging you to share with others. So be sure to share this with someone you know to help encourage them. If you happen to live in the Tampa area, come check out our church on Sunday mornings at 920 or 11 a.m. You can find the information and other resources on our website, newcitytpa.com. I pray this message encourages and challenges you in your faith, and you take this message and share it with those in your life. Uh, if you're here for the first time, we're so thankful that you're here with us today. You know, it's been a uh, just kind of the overcast, uh, sleepy Sunday morning, right? Uh, the sun is starting to come out, which is exciting. Um, but, you know, as I think about all of this, I think... Uh, I'm just excited about next week. You know, next week is our Christmas Eve service. Um, Super excited about it. God has been uh, incredibly faithful to us over the year. And so um, we'll be celebrating Christmas Eve that Jesus came down next week. Before we jump into the end of chapter one, I want to speak to the opportunity that we have as a church next week. Um, There are a lot of things that I love about Christmas time. I love all the decorations, the cookies, and the Christmas cards, uh, and the music. Uh, and, I, and I personally also like some of the cultural stuff around Christmas tree, like around like Christmas with the tree and the elves and Santa and Ru- Rudolph. Uh, I think it's kind of I think it's kind of fun personally. Um, you know, we have uh, these white snow-covered Christmas trees in our house with a couple other of uh, nutcrackers that are just kind of decorated around our house. Um, but let's be honest about all of it. Um, none of it has anything to do with why we celebrate Christmas. Uh, like, what does it white snow-covered Christmas tree have to do uh, with Jesus' birth? I don't know. Uh, And the answer is, well, absolutely nothing. Like, I'm pretty sure uh, there's no way snow was in Bethlehem um, at Jesus' birth, but that's okay. Uh, I'm I'm not trying to be the Grinch here because, again, I I love, uh, we have them in our house. My wife thinks they look pretty. I think it's kind of fun, Um, and so we just go with it. Uh, But about three times a week, it feels like I have to look at, I'll point out things in our culture to our kids, to my kids, and saying, like, what does this have to do with Jesus' birth? And they're like, I don't know. And I'm like, me either. I have no idea. And we just kind of continue on with our day Uh, because we have to be honest about a lot of this. It's kind of confusing. You know, um, as, but as followers of Jesus, the reason we make such a big deal about Christmas and Christmas Eve is because we get to celebrate that God came down to earth and provide hope. And we've been saying through this throughout the entire Christmas, se- this cr- Christmas series that Jesus came to bring us hope. And so on Christmas Eve next week at 4 p.m., we're all going to have one service all together. Um, ultimately, it's going to be a celebration. It's going to be a time to remember God's faithfulness and a time to worship God for his mercy and his goodness to us. Um, you know, at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul talks about how when unbelievers enter into our time of worship, visibly seeing and hearing of God's goodness and faithfulness, um, we're being used as a mouthpiece, speaking prophetically, so to speak, as Paul talks about in that chapter. Uh, when unbelievers witness this, they'll be convicted and worship the Lord, saying, God is really among you. And so when we gather together in worship, believing God's promises to be true, that God's prophetic word is true, unbelievers see something different and get a taste of God's goodness. And so our goal for our Christmas service next week, you know, it's not to entertain a crowd, 
but rather our goal next week is to worship and celebrate Jesus Christ, celebrating God's goodness and his mercy and, and hope that we have in Christ. And as we do that, those that we invite to join us, my hope and prayer is that they would say, God is among these people saying, I want to have what they have, which is Jesus Christ. I'm praying that all would leave worshiping the Lord, wanting just more of Jesus. And so I want to encourage you to be praying about who you may invite. I'm like, who can you, who can you invite to join you next week? You know, the, the data shows that next week people are just going to be more likely to come and, and worship with you, uh, maybe any other Sunday other than, than Easter Sunday. And so just be praying and asking, like, canvas your neighborhood, take a lot of these inviter cards, and just um, ask whoever you can, I'm praying for God to move among us. And so as we enter into the end of Luke chapter 1 today, um, we'll see, we're going to see the second half of Zechariah's story that we started two weeks ago. Um, and we're going to see as our main idea, God's mercy leads us to worship and wonder. Again, that's our main idea, that's where we're going. God's mercy leads us to worship and wonder. You know, last week uh, we talked about faith and hope and how they move us towards worshipful joy. And as we looked at Mary's story, kind of in this story of Luke, seeing how our joy, how it's easily tied to our hope. And this week, as we look at this back and forth story of Mary and uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, kind of seeing these stories kind of intertwined here in the first chapter, we're going to see redemption for Zechariah today. We're going to see him move towards worship. He's going to move towards uh, prophetic praise, just speaking about what God will do, um, but seeing the, kind of this common theme of God's mercy. So yes, being born, uh, Jesus being born is, is an announcement of hope. It's a reason to celebrate and rejoice, but it's also an announcement of God's mercy that moves us to worship in all. You know, t- again, two weeks ago, when we looked at the first uh, several verses of Luke 1, we saw the beginning of Zechariah's story uh, and how it put Zechariah in time out. He was made mute uh, and unable to speak for several months because he doubted what the angel Gabriel said to him, that his, old, his elderly wife, um, Elizabeth, would conceive and have a baby. Um, and this week we pick back up in that story. We kind of come back in about nine months later and immediately see this recurring theme of God's mercy that leads to rejoicing and awe and praise. L- look, look what it says starting in verse 57 of chapter 1. That's what it says. Now the the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. Again, I want to emphasize that that, uh, this was nothing short of a total miracle from God. And all of her neighbors and all of her family, they knew it also. Uh, They knew that God had shown great mercy to Elizabeth, which led them to rejoice. And I want to stop here for a second and talk about this word mercy because I think this is a word that we hear often um, but maybe don't really think about what it means. Uh, for example, we hear of, about criminals begging for mercy. You know, I think we hear it often in sports too, like saying things like that team showed no mercy um, on them, meaning they were relentless. They just, uh, they didn't let up. Or, or maybe in, um, in youth sports, we'll hear about the mercy rule where the game ends by a team just winning way too much. Um, you know, I don't know if you were a little hellion like me in middle school. But I, we played a game, and I'm not advocating for anybody to do this, but we played a game when we were in middle school. Um, it was called Mercy, where you tried to put each other in painful wrestling positions, and the only way you would get out of that painful wrestling position was by screaming for mercy. And if you screamed mercy, you lost the game. That was my idea of mercy growing up. 
And then for those also, for <laughs> those who maybe grew up in the early 90s or who are alive in the early 90s, maybe you've seen the, the show Full House and you think of Uncle Jesse in his favorite phrase, which he said was, have mercy. Again, the mercy is a phrase that we use often, but we think of God being, when we think of God being merciful and the mercy of God seen in the Bible and think about what mercy, like what does mercy have to do with Christmas? So we have to make sure we understand this whole idea. And so I think a simple definition will work for us. Now maybe we could say mercy is tender-hearted compassion towards the broken and the guilty. Grace and mercy, very similar uh, in the same family, but they're also very different. You know, grace, for example, is a free gift given to the broken and the guilty. Grace, so grace gives. Grace is a gift to someone who did not earn it. Grace emphasizes the gift where mercy emphasizes the compassion. So mercy is like relief to the downcast. It's a spirit of hope to the discouraged. It's tenderheartedness towards the troubled. Mercy is showing compassion that helps ease the pain. And God's compassion is at the core of God's mercy. And so when Elizabeth's relatives and neighbors say, say that God has shown her mercy, uh, that shows that, uh, Mar- that Elizabeth was very low. She was really discouraged and she was weary over her barrenness, not not able to have kids for these years and years. And they've seen that pain, her neighbors and friends, they've seen this pain. And yet now seeing her birth, the son that we're going to know as John the Baptist, when they see her joy, they're seeing a visible expression of God's care and God's compassion towards Elizabeth. And so New City today, we can celebrate God's mercy still today because God is still a merciful God. Because of the gospel, if today, if you are in Christ, if you have put your faith in Jesus, God looks at you with compassion and he looks at you with tenderness and care. If you're in a place of trouble or brokenness, maybe if you're in a place of uh, just stressed or distressed or maybe um, even knowing the weight of your sin, because of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed at the cross and through your faith in Jesus, God sees you and he sees you with a tender-hearted compassion. Like one of the greatest gifts that we gain in the gospel through Jesus from God is God's relentless mercy. Like it's God's tenderness, it's his care towards us. I mean, everything in our text today is laid on the foundation of God's mercy. And so let's look back at our text. So we're going to look at a few more details. You know, Elizabeth, she, again, she birthed her son. Everyone was rejoicing. God, they're celebrating God's mercy to her. And look what it says, verse 59. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would, be, they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And so there's just a few traditional things that we see happening here in our text. You know, they waited until the eighth day to circumcise their son, which was uh, according to the Mosaic law. Um, that, and their family w- was calling this baby Zachariah because that's typically what happened. It was a family name. And Elizabeth is like, nope, his name is John. And this is when they all kind of look, look at her kind of funny, uh, with a funny face. They're confused because they knew this wasn't a normal thing. Uh, they typically passed on a family name. And apparently they all learned sign language uh, because, uh, and they communicated with Zechariah when he wasn't able to speak through writing because look what it says in verse 62 and 63. And they made signs to his father. 
inquiring that he wanted him to be called, uh, inquired what he wanted them to be called, and he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John, and they all wondered. And so Zechariah confirmed, yes, his name is John. The baby's name is John. And, it sa- and then it says they all wondered, meaning they had uh, a, like a curiosity. There was a level of awe because uh, it was totally unexpected. They were, su- they were surprised with admiration. They were, they were knowing something here is happening. Something extraordinary was happening. They all were moved to wonder. Like wonder, this is a word that we could use when we clearly know and see that God is moving. Like we're often moved to wonder when a person that we've been praying for gets baptized. We're moved to wonder when we see God answer a prayer that seems way too far-fetched. We're moved to wonder through seeing extreme acts of kindness and generosity from others to us. And so yes, Zechariah and Elizabeth, their friends and family, they were moved to wonder by them naming their son John, and not because, uh, not only because it was out of the ordinary, but like his name John, it literally means the Lord has given grace. But naming him outside of his family name and giving him this name, this would have kind of piqued their spiritual curiosity. This was stirring their imagination towards wonder and awe. And look what happens next, verse 64. And immediately his mouth, that's Zechariah, it says he was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke blessing God. So Zechariah, he began to speak again after nine months of, of being mute. He was, wasn't able to talk and he began praising God. And I want to I stop here for a, a quick first point because just imagine Zechariah, who was unable to speak for nine months. I mean, he's an older man, he's a, he's a priest, he's having to communicate through sign language, uh, through a writing tablet, and he's, uh, he's had his big moment in the temple where he was uh, doubting, he, was, uh, he, was, he doubted the angel uh, after the angel spoke to him there in the temple that we saw a couple weeks ago, and he was put in time out and he was not able to speak uh, because of his doubt and unbelief. So I think it's fair to say uh, over those nine months, he had a little bit of time to reflect, I would imagine Zechariah, he probably didn't go out much. And I, I imagine, also imagine that most of his conversations were cut pretty short. Um, he had some pretty short conversations. Nine months of a ton of silence and solitude. Nine months of deep personal reflection. Just thinking about that moment in the temple. And here he is, nine months later, showing a changed heart. By obeying what the angel said, again, naming him John, leading us to our first point for today. Number one, worship and wonder are often fostered out of silence and solitude. Again, I don't want to stay here overly too long, but I I couldn't jump past this without addressing it because I think we all know how much our world and technology and podcasts and social media and all the things can distract us from just a deep personal reflection and relationship and connection with the Lord. Like there are so many things in our life that are pulling for our attention and the thought of being silent and still with the Lord for an extended amount of time can just seem grueling. And I mean, yet it's those moments of silence and solitude. That is where God renews us and where God heals our hearts and where God restores our souls. Like when we turn off all the noise and all the distractions and we begin to see the beauty and, uh, and glory of God, we're moved to worship and wonder. So let me just ask the simple question. Do you have regular times in your days and weeks for silence and solitude before the Lord? Where you can find this this deep personal reflection and deep connection with the Lord. That's what happened with Zechariah and the results after, after he was able to speak, he was praising the Lord. 
And, and I do want to note that, that for Zechariah, he, he didn't choose this for himself. No, no, God put him in that situation. God knew what Zechariah needed for his renewed heart. And then look what, look what happened next in verse 65. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And so at this, at this point, seeing John speak and hearing, his, uh, hearing this name, uh, or sorry, seeing Zacharias speak and hearing John's name, their friends and their family and their neighbors, the neighbors, they all knew that God was stirring. God was moving. Something was happening. And it says fear came upon all their neighbors, like in all type of fear. Like there's something happening type of fear. There's a curiosity to John and Zechariah and all that's happening, knowing that God was with him. And as we read all of, and see all of this, I can't help but think of how much Zechariah and Elizabeth's faith, how their worship and all, how it affected those around them. Like their faithfulness to just follow the Mosaic law uh, and circumcising John on the eighth day and their faithfulness to call him John. And then, and then they witnessed a miracle in Zechariah's life, being able to speak again and then blessing God. All of these things, it helped them, it moved their community to worship and wonder. Leading us to our next point, number two, worship and wonder is built in community, are built in community. You know, as we go through the Bible, chapter by chapter and verse by verse, kind of like we do, the way we do, we cannot get away from this idea because it's all over the Bible. From Genesis all the way to Revelation, we see our deep need for community. When we're around one another and seeing other people praise the Lord and blessing the Lord and worshiping the Lord, it moves us to praise the Lord and do the same. Uh, th- this is just part, part of being human. Like we become like those that we're around. We, we say this often, you know, show me your five closest friends and I'll show you your future. You know, if, we're, if the people we're around are on fire for Jesus, we're more likely to catch fire ourselves. If the people we spend the most time with are regularly in all of God, we'll begin to catch that ourselves. And what I love about our church, I really believe this, if we just took a random sampling of the people who are bought into our church, we would find a lot of people that are very serious about their faith. Perfect in faith? No. Serious about our faith? Yes. Like the culture of New City, we're just a people that are hungry for the Lord. And knowing that, like why would we want, not want to invite other people around us and into our community and into a community and to live life with us so that they too can catch fire for Jesus? Again, next week we have an incredible opportunity just to invite people in, just to be a, a part of something really special. Uh, no, we're not seeking to entertain, but worship Jesus, Yes. Like this is not, and this is not just a Christmas Eve thing. This is like a week after week, but next week we have a very uh, unique opportunity just to invite people and they'll be more likely to come. But, but from our story, the people around Zachariah and Elizabeth, they knew the hand of the Lord was on John. They knew something was happening. And when we worship with fervor and zeal, when we're moved to wonder and awe, it shows others around us that God is, is real and it spills over to those around us. And then look at, look at Zechariah. I want us to look at Zechariah's response in just a second. You know, he was made mute for nine months knowing that, that Gabriel uh, spoke to him and also to Mary. Uh, they were saying that Jesus was coming because again, remember Zechariah and Mary, they, were, uh, they, they had just spent three, like Zechariah and Elizabeth, they spent three months with Mary 
Mary, because Mary, she lived in their house for three months like we've seen. Um, and I think it's fair to assume that they all talked and they kind of, their certainty grew, um, sharing stories in those three months. And again, we saw last week, Mary was moved to praise. Zechariah, he does the same. Um, he prophesied, he spoke into the future about what God would do through Jesus. So look at, starting in verse 67. We're going to read all the way down to 79. So um, follow with me here. This was all one sentence in the original language. This is what it says. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, and to sow the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our fathers Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. It was all one sentence. Wanted to read it all at once. I know there's a lot there. We'll continue to break it down as we go here. But notice the first thing Zechariah said. He said, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. So Zechariah, when he was overwhelmed with worship and wonder, when he was moved uh, to, in all of God, what did he start doing? He started blessing God. He didn't start with his needs. He didn't start with himself. No, he started with God and what God has done. I mean, he said in speaking about Jesus, God has visited and redeemed his people. He said God has raised up a, a horn of salvation just as he promised. So bef before Zechariah prophesied into the future, he praised God for the promises he upheld. And notice he didn't say, praise the Lord because God has unmuted me. That's not what he said. He didn't say, praise God, we have a baby. He didn't say, uh, praise God, the angel came to him or that God heard their prayer. No, Zechariah started by praising God for God. He started by praising God about Jesus. He started praising God for all of who he is and what God has done and what he will do, which leads us to our next point. Number three, worship and wonder looks to Jesus. Like this entire prophetic praise, all that whole one sentence that we read, it's mostly about Jesus and not so much about his son John. There's about two verses that are related to John. John's purpose was to point to Jesus and Zechariah here as he's kind of Get bursting with praise, he's doing the same. He's pointing to Jesus. Again, I think about how the angel came to Zechariah there in the temple and also to Mary, kind of speaking about how Jesus was coming and how Mary and Elizabeth spent so much time together. They knew that Jesus was a big deal. And so Zechariah, he doesn't exalt his son. No, he exalts Jesus. He points to Jesus. And Zechariah's worship and wonder, and as he's blessing God, he pointed and he looked to Jesus. Y'all, this is massively important for us. Because if we're honest, it's really easy for us to first praise God for how he answers our prayers and for how God affects our lives. 
It's like, God, thank you for giving me this, or God, thank you for doing that, which are not bad things. We should do that. We should praise God for all things. Praise God for everything. Everything that has been made in creation points to the glory of God, including our friends and our families and all the good gifts that God gives us. But when we start with Jesus and the goodness of God and who God is and his character, we'll naturally also praise God for the gifts that he gives us. Like Paul talks about this in the book of Romans, how easy it is for worship, the creation over the creator himself. New City, we we were created to worship God. And the way in which we worship God is by first looking to Jesus and not by first looking to the gifts that God has given us. Jesus is God's greatest gift to us. Like without Jesus, we're left in our sin. Without Jesus, we have no future hope. Without Jesus, God's spirit is not with us. But with Jesus, we're seen as pure and holy. We're seen as new creations with Jesus in our life. We know that God is with us and we have a hope. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, like we want to help you with that because Jesus, without a doubt, Jesus will change your life. But y'all, when we pray and we sing, Yes, we come to God with needs and requests. We come to God and we ask as needy people. But before we ask with what we want and need, may we first worship God for who he is. May we first look to God for his worthiness before we come to him in our neediness. Like we do both. But before we ask God, may we first delight in God. And the way in which we delight in God and get, get an idea of who God is, it's by looking to Jesus. And, and y'all, the longer... The longer I walk with Jesus, the more that I'm convinced that our greatest need day after day is finding ongoing and regular renewal in Jesus. Like our greatest need every single day is to worship the Lord. And I know that many of us know that's the right thing to say. But yet how easy is it to really believe that our wants and our needs are our greatest need? Our wants and desires are our greatest needs. Like, yeah, I know Jesus is my greatest need, but my, my day would be a lot better if people would just listen to me and things would go as planned. Or yeah, I know Jesus is my greatest need, but if I had this thing or this relationship or this new work opportunity or this uh, fill in the blank, I would be so much happier. And yes, God gives us all these th- good things to enjoy. And yes, we can enjoy and celebrate them. And we should enjoy and celebrate them. But what leads us to worship and wonder, where we find renewal, it is intimacy with the Lord. It's through connecting with God. Again, our greatest need today is connection with Jesus. It's prayerful intimacy that is fueled by the Spirit and the Word of God. And notice when Zechariah praised the Lord. He was praying truth that God declared from his Word that God said he would do, and all of it's about Jesus. Look back at verse 69 and 70. Look again what he said. He said, He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. So he's praising the Lord that God did what he said he would do. God said he would raise up a Savior, and now he's done it. He's doing it and has done it here in our text. And I love how he's using this Old Testament language that King David often used in the Psalms, like saying that Jesus is the horn of salvation, referring to Jesus not just as a savior, but as a strong savior, 
Like he's a rock, a powerful savior, a strong and mighty savior. Like when we're connected with Jesus and worshiping Jesus, we're worshiping a God who has the power and the the strength to restore and rescue any person and anything. Like nothing is too far from the strength and power of God. And Jesus being born, Zechariah is now declaring that he would not be weak but strong. Like there's no one that God can't save and there's no one that God can't rescue and redeem. New City, may we this move our hearts to worship and wondering, wonder, praising God for who he will save. He's going to do it. God will save people. Praising, like may we be moved to praising God for the person that God will rescue that seems just way too far gone. This is what God does. This is who God is. He's strong and mighty. Look how he continues to show us from the word, the promises God has made about Jesus. Look at verse 71 to 75 speaking of Jesus, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Again, over and over again, here in what we just read, he's praising the Lord. He's pointing to Jesus, showing how God has saved them how God has shown mercy through Jesus, how God through Jesus has kept his promise, how God has remembered them, how God has delivered them, all because of Jesus. All of this, all of these things are pointing to God and none of them are pointing back to Zechariah or or to John. And as as we see that, we would also see that God, like he's not just up in the sky. He's not like far removed from us. No, God is with us. He's personal and he loves us. He shows us how God would save their people. Like he's interacting with their people. He's saving them from their enemies. He shows how Jesus would show mercy to their fathers. Again, show mercy to real people and deliver them from their enemies. Again, Jesus is mighty and powerful but he's also deeply personal. Jesus cares. He loves and cares for his people. He sees us. He loves us. And he has compassion for us. You know, one of the greatest gifts, again, that God gives us in the gospel is that God has compassion for us. That God looks at us through the cross and he cares for us and he loves us. And he knows our needs and desires. Which also means, like, we don't have to worry about our needs No, we look to Jesus, we look to God, and he sees them. God knows all of our needs. He knows them all. He knows our hearts. He knows our worries. He knows, and he also has the power and the strength to do something about it. Like, we don't look to our needs. No, we look to Jesus who is over all of them. At the very end, look at what he said. Again, kind of going back through this prophetic praise. Look at verses, look at 76 down to 80. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. And you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to give our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance in Israel. Again, we saw Zechariah, he started with God, and then he began to speak about his son, John, and he gave, he gave about two verses to his son. And what was John's role? We've been talking about this for two weeks. Uh, it was to point to Jesus. John's role, John the Baptist's role, he would be called the prophet of the Most High. John's role was to prepare the way for the Lord, to give knowledge of salvation. 
John's role is to give light to those who sit in darkness, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Again, this was an incredible calling, an incredible role for John that church, we also have this exact same calling. We said it again, we said it two weeks ago, you and me, we have the same calling as John. As the, the Spirit was working through John, that same Spirit is inside of you and me who call Jesus Lord. He works through us. By the help of the Spirit, we help people find Jesus. Through the help of the Spirit, we give the knowledge of salvation to those around us that is found in Jesus. Through the help of the Spirit, we give light to those who sit in darkness and we guide others into the way of peace. No, we're not, we are not the way of salvation. Jesus is the way of salvation. No, we're not the light in the darkness. Jesus is the light in the darkness. We give the light of Jesus to others. No, we're not the way of peace. Jesus is the way of peace. We simply help others and guide others to find Jesus, leading us to say, number four, worship and wonder points to Jesus. Again, without a doubt, one of the greatest ways to be spurred on to tell others about Jesus is to first delight in Jesus. Like, if we're not delighting in Jesus, why would we tell others about Jesus? I, I can't help but think of how great it is um, seeing how Jesus is described here in our text. You know, Zechariah prophesied saying in verse 79, Jesus is the way of peace. How good is that? Jesus is not the way of worry and fear and anxiety. No, Jesus is the way of peace. Jesus is not the way of anger and turmoil. No, Jesus is the way of peace. Jesus, uh, like, like he is the way of peace for all who call on him. Church, when we offer Jesus to our world, we're offering them the way of peace. And if you know someone who is struggling or bitter, or maybe full of worry, uh, what would it look like just to lovingly point them towards Jesus who is the way of peace? And part of that process may be ourselves first finding the way of peace in Jesus day after day. Our way of peace is not in our job. Our way of peace is not in, the fam in our family or people or in acceptance or more money or success. Like the way of peace, it's not in a Christmas present. Our way of peace, as fun as they are, they're not in fun holiday cards. Like I, I, love, I love all this stuff, but the way of peace is Jesus. The way that we find peace is through Christ. The way of peace is being moved to worship and wonder by looking to Jesus and by finding peace in our worship. And when we do that, we can look to others and say, here is Jesus. Here is peace. Come to peace himself. Come to Jesus. You see, may we ourselves look to Jesus and find peace. And may, may we point to others uh, to our peace. And, you know, there's so much more we could say here throughout this entire just prophetic praise that Zechariah through our text. But what I want, I want to kind of zoom out here in the last seven or eight minutes as we kind of land the plane here on our time. Because, again, our main idea is God's mercy moves us to worship and wonder. And the reason, like, we're kind of emphasizing God's mercy in our main idea is because God's mercy is, is one of the highlighted re uh, reasons for everything that we've looked at. Like if God wasn't merciful, if we didn't have God's mercy, silence and solitude, it would not be refreshing. If God wasn't merciful, full of mercy, Jesus never would have come and Christmas would not be celebrated. If God wasn't uh, merciful, worship in community would not exist and we would not have peace or redemption or a way of salvation. Again, God's mercy displayed through Jesus is the foundation for everything 
everything that we've talked about today. When Zechariah and Elizabeth's neighbors saw Elizabeth with uh, John, what did they equate it to? God's mercy. Seeing, seeing Elizabeth holding John, baby John. In verse 72, Zechariah says, Jesus came to show the mercy of God that was promised to all their fathers. Verse 78, Zechariah says, because of the tender mercy of God. Like there's forgiveness of sin and knowledge of salvation, light for all those who sit in darkness. And there's also a way of peace. Like if, there, if God did not show us mercy, tender, if God didn't show us tenderhearted, compassionate mercy, Christmas would not be celebrated and we would have no hope and we would have no reason to rejoice. But church, this is the God we worship. We worship a God who is merciful and who is gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We serve and worship a God who sees all of our sin, who sees all of our mistakes, he sees all of our shortcomings and yet he sees us and he has compassion for us. So this, God is, we can say that God's powerful enough to radically transform us, but he's also merciful enough to, to change us and to comfort us in the process. And as I think about those two qualities of God being both strong and powerful and also tender and merciful, I, I just think about this as a dad and how incredibly hard this is to display both of these qualities at the exact same time, to show strength and steadiness while also having compassion and mercy. Like, this is incredibly difficult. This is one of the hardest things to do as a dad, at least for me. Like, when I think of the strength and the power of a bull, I don't, I don't like, also think of a, a bull being merciful and tenderhearted and compassionate. I, I don't know if you've ever seen the running of the bulls or maybe even seen a video, but those bulls as they're kind of running through the streets, running through the city, tenderhearted and compassionate would not be how I would describe those bulls. No, they're full speed ahead and they will run over anything in its way. Like they stick their head down and they run full speed ahead, ramming into everything in their path. Strong and powerful, yes. Tenderhearted and compassionate, not so much. They show absolutely no mercy while at the same time, when you think of someone who is tenderhearted and compassionate, unfortunately, sometimes in our culture, strength and power are often not associated with it. But yet God in his perfect holiness, who is strong and mighty, is also full of mercy and compassion. And this idea, it leads us, just as it did Zechariah, towards worship and wonder. Like we must understand that being compassionate and merciful, they're not opposed to strength and power because God perfectly displayed both through Jesus Christ. And, and you know, I think an illustration here may help. You know, when I think of God's mercy, this displayed in the gospel, the picture that I, I kind of think of here is I just imagine like an estranged criminal, um, maybe just passed out on the side of the road, helpless on the side of the street, covered in mud and filth, maybe just trash all around him, people walking by him, bugs just kind of crawling all over him, and people just walking by, passing by him, trying to stay as far away as this guy as, as possible. And then they see, and then John the Baptist comes up. John the Baptist comes up to this man on the side of the road and says, hey, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming, and he's got the power to help you. He can change you. Hope is coming. And I just imagine this man on the side of the road just kind of sitting up with a little bit of hope, looking, wondering, like, who is this powerful man who can change him? Who is this Jesus that's coming, wondering how can this be? Because no one has wanted to come near him or even talk to him. 
And as he looks out into the distance and sees Jesus just walking towards him, walking towards him with mercy and compassion, and he clearly knows this man. Jesus knows everything about this man, and Jesus knows all that he has done, every bit of it. And Jesus extends his hand down to him and says something to him that he hasn't heard in probably 20 years. Jesus looks down and says, hey, you're deeply loved. Jesus looks down at this man and says, I love you. I'm going to help you. And guess what? You, child, are a gift. And he says, would you get up with me? Hey, I'm going to help you. And the mercy of Jesus that was shown to him in that moment, like this man begins to change just knowing the compassionate care that Jesus had for him. New City, that's the mercy of God. That's the tender-hearted compassion for the broken and the guilty. But you know what grace is for that man? It's Jesus taking that man up to his kingly castle and, and giving him a shower, giving him new clothes and saying to him, come and sit at my table. Come and eat with me. I am now going to adopt you into my kingdom forever and ever. You're loved. You're valuable. I have chosen you to be a part of my, to be a part of my kingdom, be, to come and sit with me day after day. And church, that man on the side of the road is us in our sin. And every day Jesus looks at us and says, you're, my, you're mine because of the cross, he says, you're loved. He says, you're valuable. Come and be with me forever and ever. New City, that's the mercy and grace of Jesus that moves us to worship and wonder. And when we think of Christmas and all that leads up to Christmas, may we meditate on the mercy of God who sees us in our loneliness, who sees us in our worry and in our struggle and in our grief, who sees us in our sin and rebellion, and yet God shows us tender-hearted, compassionate mercy. He, he showed it to us by sending Jesus to come and to live among us and to offer us hope. Jesus came, lived, and had the mercy to go to the cross, and also he had the strength to be resurrected. New City, this is our God. This is the God that came down to earth to help us and to be with us now and forever. Ever. Every day we wake up, God looks at us with tender-hearted, compassionate mercy, and he says to you and to me, he says, I am with you, I am for you, and I have got divine power to give to you today. And that mercy that God shows us, what does it move us to do? It moves us to worship and wonder. It leads us to look to Jesus and it, to point others to Jesus and to offer the hope to others that we can find in Christ. And it also just longs for us. We, we, we're left with the longing for silence and solitude to be with our God. And if you're here today and you don't know this mercy, I am here to tell you all of this, it is found in Jesus. And so would you just simply give your life to him today? And for everyone else, New City, our main application today, it is to worship Jesus for his mercy. Our main application is to worship Jesus for his mercy and to help others see and to find and just delight in that mercy. Would you pray with me? God, you're so good to us. God, you're so compassionate towards us. God, I don't know how you're working. I don't know how you're stirring in the hearts of people, but I hope and pray that every single person that is in this room would just understand the weight and the mercy that you have towards him, that you look at each and every single one of us with the compassionate, unfathomable love of God. God, you are so good. 
May we just worship in one, and be in wonder and awe because of your goodness and mercy towards us. We love you and we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.